A different kind of leader captures insights from diverse leaders in healthcare, public health, and academic settings so that our organizations are in a stronger position to grow, innovate, and meet the challenges of our day. To our listeners, thanks so much for joining us. Welcome to Toolbox Thursday. This is Giselle Corby-Smith on A Different Kind of Leader. Today, we're going to talk with leadership development experts about key skills, tools, and resources that leaders need to lead effectively. And today, we're lucky enough to be joined by Mitch Owen of Mitchin. Mitch, can you tell us about yourself, your organization, and how you support leaders? Oh, that's great. Well, I'm uh, I'm a one-man shop that's been serving mostly higher ed, but some corporations. And I do a lot of things with leadership development, but also do a lot of change management. A lot of my projects are large-scale college re-envisioning, division re-envisioning projects where we help kind of position the college or division for the next 10, 15 years. How long have you been in leadership development? I'm about 30-year career person now in this field. I kind of found my way into it with the institution I was at. Mitchin itself is 27 years old, so it's been an exciting ride. And I got to know Mitch through the Robert Wood Johnson Clinical Scholars Program. He's one of our executive coaches. And so, Mitch, tell us about the skill that you want to talk about today. Well, having led a lot of change management projects, I ultimately learn about a lot of the failures. And I'd like to talk about three things that are rarely done that I think are really the keys to real inclusive change management, making it stick, making it actually be implemented. Can you just define what do you mean by inclusive change management? Usually, um, instead of having it, you know, the simple definition is instead of having it done to you, getting to participate and being included in the change and making it happen for your organization. And And the processes I use, the organization approach I use, is that the whole community, the whole organization has to participate in making that change. So that's how I kind of define inclusive change management. And when you think about inclusive change management, is it typically on the scale of, as you mentioned, university re-envisioning its future? Or can some of these be applied to smaller scale kinds of change? Oh, it's all levels. I mean, the same principles apply whether you're working with an individual even or even a small department. You know, there are differences in size and scale and methodology sometimes. But these three things that I want to talk with you about today, I I think they apply to whether a person's trying to change their career path or whether they're trying to lead their department to a new vision or large scale university whole focus change. So let me talk about the three things that I rarely see done. One is people don't ask the right questions. They tend to miss the right questions. And we can talk more about that, but they tend to ask questions that actually make change harder to happen. The second thing I see is they're using the wrong methodology for engagement. They're using methodology that's easy rather than really inclusive and building ownership. And then the third one is They don't manage transition of leadership. The style of the change management leader has to evolve through the change management. And we can talk more about that as well. 
And so your first point, they don't ask the right questions. Yeah. That so, is fascinating to me. <laughs> well, so, so a, a great example is they might move to ask a very specific question. So if I was trying to improve, you know, the operation of an emergency room, I might choose to ask, well, how are we doing on patient onboarding or patient prep before we go in there? That's a very direct question, and that might not have anything to do with what needs to change and what needs to be improved. And we're not just trying to get data from people. We're trying to get them to feel some ownership and inclusion in the process. So the first lesson is you have to ask almost an ambiguous, broad question. So you have to ask questions like, what's working well? Not, do you think this is working well? But what, what do you think's working well? Or what do you think's not working well? So that's the first lesson. The second lesson is I use a framework I developed that there's four conversations that communities have. And a community to me can be a real community, or it could be a department or an organization or a family or whoever you're trying to help make the change happen for. And that community needs to have four conversations. And I call these an ownership conversation, which is what do you plan to do or what do you plan to participate in? A strengths conversation, which is, you know, what's working? What, what are we happy about? A dissent conversation, which is usually the one that's the least done because leaders fear it. But if you don't let people tell you what's not working well, they will tell you what's not working well throughout the whole process and it will diminish the change. And then the last one is a possibilities conversation. And a possibility isn't what we're going to do, but what are the choices? What are the paths that we need to look at? And then I think the third thing I'd say about right questions is it has to focus on issue consensus building rather than solution consensus building. In other words, too often, change managers come with a solution and want everybody to buy into it. But you really need to get a sense of urgency around the issues we're going to address with the change management. So those are, when I think of the right questions, it's about making sure you're open-ended and people can go where they want with the answer, making sure you're having the right conversations, and making sure that your focus is on bringing people together around what are we going to fix or what are we going to change that will matter for them. So what would the ownership, you talked about the what's working well, what's not working well, and I think I can get wrap my head around how to frame those questions. Can you say more about the ownership questions? Yeah, so when people are participating in a change management, they need to be asked, how much do you plan to participate? How much do you plan to uh, do for the whole rather than for yourself? How much risk do you plan to take? And so these are conversations that people need to have early on so that they got the sense. And then later on in the process, they need to have conversations about what are you willing to take leadership for in making this happen? And it's this transition, which gets to my last point, which is the transition of leadership. Early on, I just want them to be willing to take risk. At the end, I want them to say, I'll lead this initiative or I will take care of this action. So you can see how those play together. Absolutely. So then the second was methods. Yeah. So this is a simple one. Uh, most people come to me and say, we need to get input. Let's do a survey. A survey is the worst possible tool you can use. A survey is impersonal. It's not always accurate. It, it just look at polling. It's, it, surveys are very hit or miss. You have to know the answer to the question before you use a survey. And that's why they're used in political frameworks so much. No, the real good methods require time and engagement, human engagement, face-to-face. -face. They require people in the room 
The two I use the most are large-scale listening sessions where everybody's in the room and everybody is sharing their thoughts. And you have to be a pretty strong master facilitator to run those kinds of meetings. And then I do targeted interviews. And I mean interviews where you sit down like you're doing with me today and we talk to an individual and we have a, a basic set interview series of questions that we're asking everybody to get their input. And that makes people remember that you asked their opinion. It makes them feel some ownership. And then later you can come back and it's got multiple vehicles. And with the person that has no resources and no way to help you, it makes them feel some ownership and they will support in their physical and uh, emotional way. For people that are quite powerful and resourceful, it makes them want to give you money. They makes them want to support you when you come back and say, here's what we decided to do because you gave us this great input. But it has to be a good interview. And it has to be an interview that makes them feel some ownership of what you're trying to do and a voice in the change that, that you're actually doing. That's great. As somebody who loves qualitative data, I love that. <laughs> yeah. And, and I would say that each project I do at a college level is hundreds of qualitative studies because each individual is interviewing 10 people and they're taking that and summarizing and then the next. So from our research background, you know, I'm duplicating study after study. It's not like one study. It's like 20 studies. What's the biggest issue facing these people? Right. Or what's the biggest thing they think is not working? It's very valuable kind of work. And it's done very structured, highly structured, which gets to my last point, which is the transition. I can't wait to get to the last point, but I have questions about this one. <laughs> so do you structure the interview around these four types of conversations that need to have be had? Yes, in the way we do. And there's set questions. I, I've, over the years, developed some my framework that I use, and then I modify off that framework. But my goal is at the end of a conversation, they will have had those four conversations. Right. They will have experienced an opportunity to say they love this, they don't like this. Probably the one that is the least, it's more subtle, is ownership. You know, you've had that conversation to get them to have the conversation. Would you be willing to sit with me and talk about what we're doing and how we could be better? Okay. So we talked about the right questions. We talked about the right methods. What was number three? Transition of leadership, which is the one that I learned almost by doing. And it's very subtle. You know, I read an article several years ago, I think it was in Harvard Business Review, that during chaos, strong leadership is needed and that almost a dictatorship is needed. So when a company is in trouble, they don't need a CEO that's empowering. They need a CEO that comes in and takes charge. The same thing is true of leading a change management. At the very beginning, you have to be a process king or queen. You have to say, I'm in charge. This is the process. I will do it with you if it's... And that's why as an outside facilitator coming in, I can do that very easily. So you have to structure it in a way that you're, you know, no, this is how we're doing it. And if you don't like it, you don't need to participate. You have to get them to buy into the process though, but you also have to be a czar. And so I've been called everything from pushy to bossy to, you know, whatever. And I have to stress, you can't do it in a non-compassionate way. You have to have compassion. You just can't be a bully even though they might call me that, they're teasing. You have to do it. It's a very high skill to do that and keep people on board. But you have to have that high level of structure to move them through the process so that when they get to consensus and they start moving on and they're ready to take ownership, you haven't derailed at any point during. Now, the thing that I learned over the years is, and I think it's because I was lazy, but early on I would be highly structured. But then once the group started gelling and I saw them doing well, I would just ignore them 
If they were in small group discussions, I would be less facilitative. I would let them figure it out. And then at one point, uh, the group's gelling so much, I, I would say, they say, well, how should we do this? How we should, you know, because I have different processes for getting a group to come to consensus. Which method should we use? Should we use post-its, Mitch? And I would look at them and go, I don't care. Do it any way you want. And I quickly realized that if I could slowly release control in a very thoughtful way, but still maintain control to move them through the process to where I get to the end, like I was at UConn two weeks ago, and the college is presenting their strategic vision, their four initiatives, all the operational goals they've had, they're presenting it to their, I didn't set foot on a stage. I didn't speak. I was in the back and they thanked me. I waved. I talked to the co-chairs. I met with the dean briefly, but they would come with a problem. I'd go, what do you think we ought to do? And they would solve it. And so this ability to manage your ego and your need for attention and be highly structured at the beginning, but learning to step back and also finding ways to give every member of the team that's helping lead this grow. And I have to say, I didn't mention that early on. You can't do inclusive leadership without a team. You can't just come in. I'm not a big fan of the big consulting firms that come in with their people and change you. I just don't think that model works. And naturally, I'm not going to get a job with any of them now, but that's okay because <laughs> I wouldn't want to do that kind of work. So Mitch, this is really pretty cool. And I think it might be helpful if you could give like an example of how you use this. Give us an example of how you've worked with a client or a leader in this way. So, and it could be, uh, I could actually give you two like totally different uh, and kind of work you through it. So an example would be if it was a whole college or a large organization, we're looking at a six month period. There's usually a planning phase in which we're setting process. And I'm asking them to think about how we're going to do this. But I'm kind of legislating the questions and saying, here's the questions we're going to use, and this is how we're going to do it. So the college up at UConn, you know, we six months, well, actually four months ago, we did this one really fast. And I'm a believer in very short change management. I don't think it serves you to spend a year doing change management. But, you know, initially we have a meeting and we set the stage, we get our questions, we target stakeholders. So we identify who are the key populations in the organization that need to be talked to. An example might be in a college, you have students, you have employers, you have faculty and staff, you have volunteers, you also have funders and grantors. And so you start thinking of all those people. If you're looking at something like American Hort, when I work with them, you know, our stakeholders were the major nurserymen and landscapers and researchers at university that are supporting American Hort. But you find those stakeholders and then you have two things going on at one time. You're, you're running a meeting where they get to participate, they can come, and those meetings are important because it allows individuals to have the option to come, whether you're invited to an interview or not, and then you use targeted interviews for key leaders. So an example might be if, if we're talking about somebody in public health, they might want to interview you because you're at UNC and you have influence and, and knowledge of what the research is going on at the university. They might also want to interview a president of a hospital and maybe somebody who works in a clinic and public health in an inner city. You know, so you can sit back and look at the different stakeholders. Those are going to give different answers. So a funder is going to give one answer to what's not working. You know, a doctor working in a clinic in a tough area 
with little money is going to give a totally different answer. And that adds interest and contrast to when they come back. And then I use them to teach each other. So we come together and we teach each other, which is the first step toward transitioning the leadership to them because they have to teach each other what they learn from each person. The listening session data also adds knowledge to them. And then we facil- I facilitate them through a process that took me years to kind of get it right. But I facilitate a process. Actually, in two days, we break down everything we've learned and we define areas where we think energy here to make changes will make a big difference and will we'll benefit the organization. Then the last is just working out the details of measures. You know, it's interesting. Everybody always asks you, can you have measures of success? We got to have measurable objectives. Those are easy once you got consensus on where you want to go. It's getting that consensus because people fight over the measures because they don't agree what we're going to change because they don't agree on the issue. So what's the issue we need to fix? And I do that whether it's, you know, if it's a college, it's going to be several meetings. If it's a department, it may be a lot of pre-work and no listening sessions, maybe a listening session with the staff, having them do a listening session with the students, and then a two-day retreat with the department. And then, you know, when I do private sector, it's catering to the needs and what their resources are and what they can bring in. I've done, you know, nonprofits and groups in conflict, all kinds of stuff. And the model works. These approaches, these kinds of big rocks actually make it work. This is really interesting. And I love the ability to be able to scale it. Do you ever bring back results to the groups? So when you say bring back results, you know, I share the results of previous clients with new clients because that's why they hire you. Right. <laughs> but, 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 you know, one of the exciting things is this year I'm doing a project at University of Tennessee with the same organization I did it with 10 years ago. And they are presenting to the team that I just started with. The first meeting was celebrating the accomplishments, many of which were amazing. One of them was a $64 million gift farm in Western Tennessee to the university for, for youth programs. So, I mean, you sit back and you go, well, gee, that's exciting to see that. And then I, I keep tabs on my clients. I did not get into this business to get rich, obviously, uh, or would be a one-man shop. I got in it to really make change happen. And one of the beautiful things is I get to pick my clients sometimes and I get to choose projects that really matter. And I want them to be successful. My real goal is not how much I get paid or how much we do, but watching something bloom in a place that it wouldn't have and make a big difference especially in higher ed, which I came from and care deeply about. So the three points, to recap the three points, make sure you're asking the right questions, make sure you're using the right methods, and make sure you're thinking about the transition of leadership. Key points in change management. Mitch, thanks so much for joining us today. This has been been great. It's been my pleasure to be with you, and uh, I look forward to the next time we chat. Thank you. You have been listening to A Different Kind of Leader, If you like what you have heard, please rate us and leave a comment wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps others find us. Also, look for us on Facebook and Instagram at Different Kind of Leader, as well as Twitter at DK Leadership. You can also email us at differentkindofleader at gmail.com. Please let us know what leadership questions you have for our guests and which inspiring leaders you would like for us to interview next.